shoeboxes open. They're overjoyed. You can see them shouting, jumping. This is the first time those children are receiving the shoe boxes. They are so happy. Every box is important because every box is an opportunity to tell a child about God's love, about His Son, Jesus Christ. If you get the heart of the child, you will reach the heart of the parents, you will reach the heart of the family, and then you will touch the community. That gift box is the beginning into their hearts. Isn't it incredible how these gifts touch the lives of these children? Every year we see tens of thousands of children disciple. And we couldn't do this without you, so thank you for packing the boxes. Thank you for praying for these children around the world. God bless you, and keep packing those boxes. Yeah, keep packing those boxes. Can you feel it? It's almost Christmas time. It's coming. I... I have to admit, I am a Christmas music and everything after Thanksgiving. My family is a Christmas music after August sort of, uh, sort of, kind of people, and um, I just don't agree with it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I feel like the entire second half of my year is spent anticipating Christmas. I may not listen to the music that early, but the whole second half of the year is just like only this much more time till Christmas. What are you getting it. me for Christmas? I'm not telling you. Oh, okay. Nice try. Hey, I'm going to hold him to it. Now he's has a lot of witnesses saying that he's going to get me something. So I, I will. Perks of the job. Hey, uh, welcome to MRCC. As you can see, it is Operation Christmas Child season, and we just want to encourage everyone to in, get involved as much as possible. Grab a box, grab a few boxes if you can, and we just get to fill those up, and then we get to send those out. The drop-off times are November 5th and November 12th, and so that way they can get to their destinations as soon as possible. Absolutely. We would absolutely love to partner with you on that. It's so easy to grab one on your way out. Um, super recommended. We also have coming up at the end of the month on the 29th, that's next Sunday, uh, our connection lunch. So if you're newer to MRCC or maybe you just don't feel as connected to some folks, you want to get to know more people, the connection lunch is a great place to start to do that. It's going to be at 1 p.m. after church next Sunday. The address is up behind me here. Uh, there'll be lunch. It'll just be a good time to hang out and get to know some more folks, especially awesome if you're, you're new and looking to build some and you'll be there. I will be there, absolutely. And I might get you a Christmas present if you come. So we'll see what happens. Um, but that's happening. And then also next week on Saturday, the 28th, we have our uh, family game night, board game night is returning. So those of you who have uh, been involved before know and are probably excited about it. This is bring your family. Uh, George Murray sets up a bunch of board games. I guarantee you, you're like Walmart store shelf board games. That. There might be some of those there, but he has stuff there that you have never seen in your life. I went once, like, the first time I went was just to check it out. I was only going to stay for a few minutes. I ended up staying the whole time playing this, like, dice rolling game with all these tears. It's called craps. No, 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 no. It wasn't craps. Oh, okay. No, no, no. Different game. There's no gambling involved. But you will have a great time, and you will see some games that you didn't even know existed. And you'll be like, how did someone even come up with this? Super cool. There's a table out in the foyer. Um, that's going to be next Saturday at 7 p.m. They'll go till about 10 in the annex. And that'll happen the third Saturday of every month going forward. So we're super excited about that. Yeah, also coming up on November 19th, um, I know everyone, not everyone, a lot of us have asked for another night of worship. And so we, uh, we have Ooh. that coming up on November 19th. It's going to be a night of worship and prayer. It's just a time to come together as a body and just 
be in the Lord's presence. And Pastor Weston and his team have been working hard on it. So I just want to invite you to that November 19th at 5 p.m. We have a guest speaker this morning. Um, he has many titles. Uh, he was a former youth pastor here. He was our network youth director. But our my favorite title that he has um, is dad. And so uh, I want to welcome <laughs> Pastor Zach up to Thanks, buddy. Well, good morning. Good morning. I don't mind being dad, except for, like, I totally disagree on this philosophy towards Christmas. And... Um, and I'm going to say that all came from Jessica's side of the family, so, uh, which is actually probably true. So good morning. Um, Pastor Greg is, um, is out on, they're celebrating their 39th wedding anniversary. So come on, that is good. Yeah. Jessica and I were supposed to be in um, Israel this weekend, actually. Um, and while we're bummed that we're missing out on that trip, um, we're more bummed what is happening in our world, amen? And, uh, and so when he knew I was gone, he said, hey, uh, any chance that uh, you could jump in? And it's an, always an honor uh, to open God's word. We're going to be in Luke chapter 18. We're going to continue in our road trip uh, this morning. Um, and uh, by way of introduction, if we haven't met, like you said, my name is Zach. I've served on staff. Just this, we've called MRCC home uh, since 1998. Um, and so we love this church. Uh, we believe uh, in the mission of God amongst his people. In this fellowship, it's been fun to, to see all the things that God has done. Uh, even the two young men standing up here this morning uh, were students in our youth ministry. Um, and to see God just continue to work in them and grow them is a joy. Amen? Amen. This morning, we're going we're gonna to tackle some of the goofy things that we can be, can be led to kind of believe sometimes. And, and sometimes we call them myths. Sometimes we call them superstitions. Whatever you want to call them. They're, they're these traditions, these things that we can believe. And we can actually hold them to be true and it impacts our lives. Who's ever heard that the, the, uh, if you swallow bubble gum, it'll stay in your stomach for seven years? It's not true. It won't stay in your stomach for seven years. Uh, who's ever believed that if you shut the lights off uh, at night, then the boogeyman can come out? Right? And so, you know, and oftentimes these myths and superstitions, I honestly believe they're just kind of like tools in the parenting tool belt. Right? Because they're ways like, okay, well, I'll turn this light on. Now you got to go to sleep. Right? Uh, it allows the parents to go to, back, to go to bed by themselves, amen? And all the parents are like, yep, that's exactly what it is. But there's all these things, like the, the Twinkie has a shelf life of 40 years, right? That's not true. That's not true. It, it, it doesn't have a shelf life. Now, I'm like, like I kind of think it's true. Like, like, you eat a Twinkie from time to time, and from time to time you look at it, and I don't know why, but, you, you know, again, being in recent youth ministry, that's why I would eat a Twinkie. I don't know why a normal adult would eat a Twinkie, uh, but... You take, and you take a bite and you're like, that's just not very good. But your mind tells you it is because of nostalgia from when you were younger. But there's all these things. The, the, the myth that if you shave your hair, it'll go back thicker. Right? Not true. Right? The myth. Right? The myth that you can't. Here's one. Here's a, here's a classic parenting one. That you can't swim until after an hour. You know, have to wait an hour after you eat before you swim. Not true at all. When I found out that one wasn't true, I was like, I believed that till like last week. <laughs> I, I, but, it's, but it's not true. And, and there's all these things that we can begin to believe. Like here's a personal myth of mine. I travel a lot across our uh, Washington State, North Idaho, and I hit I-90 quite a bit. And I have a personal belief that you cannot drive on I-90 through Cleelum and not stop at Owens Meats. <laughs> right? I, see, I think that, that I, 
I believe that. Now, my wife says our budget doesn't believe it. But I'm telling you, they sell pepperoni by the yard there. And if you're on a road trip, right? If you're like, so there's a myth that I can't, I can't not stop there. There's a truth. Of course I could not, you know, I could avoid it. But I mean, you're talking, I mean, a, a yard of pepperoni. Doesn't everybody need that? Right. It's, but these myths can sneak in, and what happens is they can also creep into our faith life. They can also creep into what we believe about God and how we interact with him. And Jesus wants to talk to us today specifically about myths that impact the way that we both access and interact with him. He wants to talk about that, and the scripture teaches us, right, that we'll know the truth, the truth is Jesus, and the truth will what? Set us free. And Jesus longs for us to be free and to act in the, in the truth that he brings, to not be held by these myths that impact because God doesn't want anything distorted or destroyed inside of our hearts with the way that we interact and see him, amen? So let's pray together. Jesus, this is your word, this is your truth. We receive it. Uh, help us to set aside distraction, set aside busyness and all the things that weigh on our minds and hearts and to simply hear you speak to us. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen. I hope you brought your running shoes. We're going to cover all of Luke 18 today. And so we are going to sprint through it, but we're going to do it in a great way. I also want to prepare you that I believe that church is a participation sport and not a spectator sport. And so at the end of today, we're going to actually have an opportunity to put one of the elements that God wants to talk to us about into practice. And so if you're visiting for the first time, if you're a guest for the first time, nope, I'm not, a, I'm not the uh, normal pastor. Our lead pastor will be back next week and this won't happen again. Um, but uh, in the meantime, uh, you're here, and we're gonna have an opportunity to be the family of God this morning and put into practice what Jesus is talking about. So number one, the first myth that Jesus, who I'd like to refer to as the OG mythbuster, right? The first myth that Jesus is gonna attack is this, that only by relentless persistence, God hears and considers our needs. Myth, only by relentless persistence, God hears and then considers our needs. This is what the scripture says. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. Right, so from the outset, he's saying, listen, I'm gonna tell you a parable that you should, what? Always pray and never give up. Another translation says that you should always pray and not lose heart. I think the lose heart is a, is a better example of what Jesus is gonna wanna talk to us about this morning. But then he continues, he said this. He said, he said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? At the outset, there's one thing I want to draw your attention to. And just like Jesus with the, shrewd, the parable of the shrewd manager, he's using this example of somebody that is not like God. It has the characteristics that aren't like God. Oftentimes when we hear a parable, they, the parable is illustrating the heart of God. And he wants to draw a, a very strong contrast between the nature of God and this judge, the only parallel that exists 
in this, um, in this uh, parable. The only one that exists is the one that, he, that she says that she went to this judge. The judge was the only one that could bring her remedy. The judge was the only one that could answer her plea, right? And in that way, that is the only similarity. God is the only one that can remedy and bring the things that we need, amen? Amen. So, so he starts and he begins this by saying that there's this judge and, he, and how he describes the judge, right, is that the judge doesn't fear God and he doesn't care about people. And so at the outset, we should recognize very clearly, very openly, that this is a person opposite of the character and heart of God. Jesus said the two most important things are what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus says it's very important that you love God, and it's very important that you love one another. And so this person is completely opposite. This is completely contrasted to the nature and the heart of God. And he uses this example of this, this woman, this widow coming to um, this judge and he says, I need, I need a remedy for my adversary. And he says, and by her, she was persistent. She was relentless. But notice what he said. It said that he only gave up, right? He only gave in to her request because that she might come and finally attack me. The, the original uh, language suggests that it, would, that it would bring shame, that she would come and it was, actually says that she'd give him a black eye, right? That, that his reputation as a judge would be marred if he didn't finally give her response. He, not that he was moved because she was a widow, not that he was moved because he wanted to be just, not because he was moved because he wanted to be good. He was moved because he only cared about himself. And God says, Jesus says, I want you to know something right away. That is nothing like God. That is nothing. He goes, and won't God? He goes, listen to what that, what an evil person says. He goes, that isn't God. God says, I want my children. I want my, my people to bring everything to come and to me. I want them to come to me. I want them to bring all the things that are weighing on them to me because I want to be the, I, I am the answer person. They're, they're, they're coming to me is an acknowledgement of their faith that I'm the one that can bring them remedy. And so the persistence isn't a persistence of bugging. It's not like a, a child in a store begging to get their way, right? You walk in the stores this time of the year and it's evidence that the stores hate parents, right? You walk in the stores and they've got everything that's bright and shiny and lights up and, and it makes noise and, and like the candy is all at this level, right? And, it, and I, it's meant to make parents' lives miserable. Because then begins this, the, you know, the outlaw standoff between will I give them, the, they want the candy bar and they're gonna let the whole store know and they don't care that the whole store knows that they want that candy bar. And as a parent, you're left with this dilemma. Do I shut the kid up with the candy bar? Which all the dads in the room said, amen. <laughs> or do I teach a harder lesson? Which the moms in the room said, yes. And and in the, like, that's the picture we get that, oh, I see. How we get what we want from God is we just gotta keep, we gotta keep bugging him because eventually he'll give in. And, and God's saying, no, 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 no. He's like, that's not it at all. When you come to me, no matter what it looks like, no matter what the circumstance, when you bring those requests to me, I'm, I'll bring justice. I will be, bring the answer. See, we know that there's evil everywhere. And that's why I believe that the, the translation of the not lose heart is a better one. Right, because it could be easy to lose heart when you pay attention to things going on in the world today. Right, you could begin to think, man, is you know, in the new, you turn the news on, you're like, man, is the church even making a difference in our world today? I just want to encourage you, yes, because just because that there's evil, there's always been evil. 
There's always been. We're just now more aware of it, right? You can pull up your phone and you can find out what's going on in Paducah, Kentucky right now, right? We don't, do you need to know what's going on in Paducah, Kentucky right now? Probably not, but we can. And so we have this compounded amount of information coming and it can cause us to lose heart. And Jesus says, listen, don't lose heart. Keep coming, keep bringing it. No matter what the diagnosis is, keep bringing it. No matter how long you've been praying for that wayward child, keep bringing that prayer. That's evidence of faith. Will I find evidence of faith? It's, it's when we continue to bring it because we know that God is the one that can bring it. So he combats the myth that is persistence. He's to, with the truth. And the truth is, God doesn't want to let us to let anything get in the way of bringing our needs to him. He doesn't want us to let anything get in the way of bringing our needs to him. It's not too big. It's not too small. I, one of the things in kids' ministries, you learn this as a children's pastor fast when you start praying for cats and sick, and sick birds and things like that. Because there's not one prayer that's too small that we don't take to God. And there's nothing too big that our God. We just sing about what God can do again, amen? So he combats it with the truth that our persistence is evidence of faith. The next myth that he wants to address is that our behavior, right? Our behavior earns grace, right? The myth that our behavior earns God's grace, that we can somehow get on the good list with God. This is what the scripture says. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. I love that Jesus doesn't, he, he, he approaches all people from all different walks, all different hearts and attitudes. Even like in this room, there's so many, we all have different stories. And so the scripture always has something for us, amen? But he says to, to some that were looking down on, us, on others, he told them this parable. He said, two men went up to the temple and pray, one Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Again, very clear, right? This is supposed to be the teachers of teachers that, that follow God and a tax collector, we're gonna traitor, sinner, all the things that we know a tax collector to be in scripture. The IRS guy that nobody likes, right? The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, right? Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, this myth that our behavior earns God's grace reveals, right, that we kind of believe that there is a, there, that God somehow grades sin on a curve, right? That as long as you're in the one part of the curve that you're not as bad as the worst, then you're gonna be okay. How quickly is it is for us to assume that like, okay, it'd been so different. What he's saying, the Pharisee was not saying, God, I'm thankful, God, that you have changed my heart and made me different than I was. That is a different prayer. He's talking about comparison and that the, and the Pharisee is only comparison, comparing himself with what he perceived as a worse sinner, right? It becomes a prayer of deflection. Uh, you, we've, we've seen deflection. All of us, right? Right. You you tell uh, you you know you tell one of your 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 kids to to clean their room, and the first thing they say is, "Well, they haven't cleaned their room, right?" You you, you know, hey, have you done your homework? Well, they haven't done their homework. 
hey, you got to eat your vegetables. They didn't eat their vegetables. Like deflection becomes our autopilot way of thinking because we'd rather make, draw attention to other people's shortcomings than own our own. And so this Pharisee who's, who's consumed starts that way. I mean, if that prayer was made today, it'd be like, God, I'm just thankful I'm not like Bob. Bob drinks too much. Bob doesn't mow his yard to keep his, his house up. Man, Bob's harsh with his kids, God, and I'm not. I'm so thankful I'm not like Bob. Bob is a loser, right? And it's as ridiculous as that prayer sounds, as silly as that prayer sounds. We can have that attitude. We're like, at least, like we can say, at least I'm not going and, and, and partying all the, every, all the time. You know, at least I've never beat my kids. Like that's some sort of threshold of success as a parent, right? Right? And some of us are like, well, sometimes, some days that's true. <laughs> that is a threshold of success, right? We can say, at least, right? And God is saying, no, when you stand before me, you stand before me alone as who you are, naked and bare, your heart, your motives, and everything on display for him. And he wants us to know, like, this is why this myth is so powerful, because the truth is so much more powerful that we don't have to go through every day trying to earn God's grace. We can't. We simply get to go before him and say, God, have mercy on me. Part of celebrating the Lord's Supper and communion is celebrating mercy, that the punishment due you and me was taken by Jesus. Friends, that is good news. Friends, that is good news that that myth that we have to somehow earn. And so here's the truth that, is, that combats it, that Jesus brings, is that humility places, places us in a position to receive grace. Humility, whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. When we go before God, we just simply say, God, I, earn, I deserve nothing. And yet you give me your son. You give me your grace and I receive it. The interesting part about this passage is it says that it's the tax collector that went home justified right it's the tax collector it's the one who simply just said have mercy on me that left in right standing before god we're talking about those missed access his he was now unified with god he had access to the father and it was the pharisee who left with the barrier intact how freeing for us to know that we don't have to carry and earn it that we simply get to go honestly and humbly before him and seek his mercy and that he gives it, amen? Amen. The next myth is that our value or production potential is what makes us worth letting us come to Jesus. That our, that our value or production potential makes us worth letting come to Jesus. This is what the scripture says. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. See, this moment, this Jesus' teaching is interrupted because parents are bringing their babies, their kids, just similar to what we would do when we would do a child dedication to the Lord, acknowledging that kids are a gift from God. Children are a gift from God, and we're simply recognizing and saying, God, this, this child belongs to you. And I own the responsibility to raise them to know you, that they belong, they're, they're yours. And, and I just simply have the next however many years to, to, to point them to you, and they're gonna become adults, and they're gonna have their own kids, all the things. 
That's what they were doing. They were simply bringing their kids. A super common practice for century, rabbis laying their hands to bless kids. I mean, we all, I mean, I mean nobody in this room says, ah, I don't want that for my kid. Everybody wants their, their kids to know Jesus. Everybody does. Everybody wants them to walk in light of God's blessing and purpose for their life. And the disciples thinking, you know, Jesus is in the middle of this super important ministry right now. And you're bringing these, these kids who, like, like, they can't speak even. They're too young. They, they, have no, they don't have a value. Like, what are you trying to do? Interrupt all the good work that Jesus is trying to do. And Jesus is like, you're missing it. I love the Mark 10 passage. The Mark 10 passage of this says that this actually ticked Jesus off. It says he became indignant, right? He, he got mad. It's like, what, you, guys, have you missed everything I'm teaching you? Like, this is how it works. Those with no value, according to society, according to culture, get to come to me. And I wonder, like, sometimes if we draw lines in our own minds and hearts of, of, of people that we think are excluded because of their value from coming to God. I wonder when we watch what's going on in the Middle East in our world, if we think people in Hamas and Hezbollah are excluded from God wanting to rescue and save. We step into our own borders, and I wonder if, if we draw lines saying we, we, we think that there's a political party that is excluded from God wanting to draw them and to be saved. We step even more local, and, and, and we consider, we, like, who are the people groups? You know, I've wondered often if God thinks cat people should be saved, but the scripture tells me that he does. But the passage is very clear, and so this is specific to kids. Right, specific to bringing kids to God. It says, do not hinder kids from coming to God. Well, the opposite of hindering is doing things on purpose to tear down barriers so that they can come to, to Jesus. Exhibit A is this building that in two weeks we're gonna celebrate what God has done and we're gonna open for our kids to step in. See, that is, that is not sheetrock and roofing and two by sixes and concrete and paint. Right? That is being intentional to take down barriers from the young people across this plateau to come to Jesus. See, Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell wouldn't prevail. And the best way to build a church is to disciple kids from the time they're young, amen? So we didn't build a building. We placed a sledgehammer in the hands of Jesus to knock down the gates of hell, that every student and child in this community would come to know him because we're gonna do things on purpose to not hinder kids from coming, Amen? So we're celebrating, come on. We're celebrating. We're celebrating what God's doing. We're celebrating that, that, that he has given us this opportunity. But it's not a building. It's a story of a young girl who will come to know Jesus and she is going to, 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 to be raised up and follow him and walk in a calling as of an evangelist. It's a young man who's gonna, who's gonna hear about Jesus and he's gonna break the cycles of his families for generations and he's gonna, be, he's gonna love his kids, he's gonna point them, he's gonna serve and he's gonna know who God is. That's the stories that are gonna happen in that building. And so he combats, right? He combats the myth that it's value or potential value with the truth. And that's this, that Jesus wants all to come to him with no exclusions, right? There's no fine print at the end of the deal that says, you know, salvation's for all except for. There is no fine print. He offers it freely and he wants us to be intentional, not hinder, but especially kids from coming to him. So he goes from 
society that seemed that looked at so at those of little worth or value to those that society would look of much worth and much value. And he's going to tackle another myth, and that myth is what we have and what we do helps us get close to God. That what we have and what we do helps us get close to God. Here's the here's the scripture. A certain ruler asked him, "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? Why do you call me good?" Jesus answered, "No one is good except God alone." Again, I just love Jesus. Just love it. Here he is, and, and here's what he's identifying with this guy. He's saying one of, two, one of two things is happening. One, right, when he says no one is good but God alone, he's saying one thing has happened. You recognize that I'm the Messiah, that I'm gonna, I'm gonna have the answer. He's, that's what he's saying. Like, that's, that's option one. Or option two, you're kissing up, right? It's one of those two things. And, he, and so he's, he's wanting to, to reveal this guy's heart right from the very beginning. And he says, you know the commandments. You should not commit adultery. You should not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. See, it reveals a belief that could even be held today and even creeps into some teachings today. Thankfully, uh, I'm so thankful for pastors, you know, um, fidelity to God's word and even a, a you know, a, a series like this where we walk through a whole book because when you take scripture as it comes to you, chapter, chapter, verse by verse, you don't get to skip over things. And, and, and there's this common help belief that not only is, is financial blessing the sign of God's blessing on your life, right? It's also taught sometimes that there's also a, uh, a right as a believer to have financial blessing. And the thing that's crazy is, and they'll point to the Old Testament Oftentimes, they'll point to the Old Testament and say, listen, every time Israel, you know, was pursuing God, God would, would pour out financial blessing on them. And it's true. It's totally true. But you have to keep reading. Because also on the other side of that is every time that happened, they would become prosperous. They would get to this place where they said, you know what? We're so good. We don't even need God anymore. We're so blessed. We forgot who the one that provided the blessing for. And that's the other side. And then they would rebel and they're they would decline and they would go into captivity or they would be conquered. All these things, that's the other side because it's very easy for us and we love to believe that we're excluded from these kind of cycles, amen, right? There's some of us in the room going, man, you talk about wealth and there's some of us going like, I'd like to have some, right? <laughs> like like that, would be, that would be okay. My grandpa used to say that the, uh, the lotto ruins people and I'd be like, ruin me, <laughs> ruin me, right? But what he's illustrating here was specific to this man's heart, and that is this. That it wasn't that he had money, it's that money had him. That he was handcuffed in his identity as a wealthy person and he could not foresee letting that go. You know, we could all have one thing. You know, we could all have that one thing because Jesus says to him, one thing you lack. Like if he's looking at me, he's like, Zach, you have 4,700 things that you lack. Come back to me when you're down to a few less. But he says to him, you have one thing that you lack. 
And all of us can be guilty of having that one thing. See, money in itself is not bad. It's that money having you is bad. Family is God's gift and a joy. But how many knows that family can become an identity and an idol in our lives? Your career is not bad, but you can become handcuffed to it. If Jesus asked you and walked up and said, one thing you lacked, I need you to quit your job and I want you to move to a foreign country to be a missionary, you'd be like, oh God. Essentially, that's what he was inviting this guy to is to be his disciple and follow him. He was saying, you're gonna leave, right? But he said, one thing. There's so many things we can have that we that we've hold on to and that have such a hold on us, right? It could be unforgiveness that has crept in and we have bitterness, and Jesus says, one thing, I need you to go back and forgive your dad. I need you to go back and I need you to forgive your mom. He's like, oh, Jesus, I could do a lot of things, but they did that and I can't forgive that. And Jesus is saying, one thing that you lack. And here is what the truth that he combats with, and that's this. Nothing is worth keeping if it keeps us from following Jesus. Nothing's worth keeping if it keeps us from following Jesus. He's inviting us, and he's, that's what he's trying to say. It's like, listen, the only thing that can get in the way is if you let it hold on to you. I'm inviting you, I'm calling you and drawing you, but it's up to you. Jesus moves from there, and he, he addresses a myth that, that, is, uh, that is hard for his disciples to even comprehend, but the myth is this, that kingdom power is achieved through worldly actions. Kingdom power is achieved through worldly actions. See, things don't operate in the kingdom like they do in the world. The world is like you get, but you get what you can get. You defeat who you need to defeat. You need to put, you know, at, at whatever cost it may, it may take, for, at somebody else's expense to get and achieve what you want. Who cares who you run over? Who cares what the, the train wreck behind you? Go get it. That's what the world would say. But Jesus says this. He takes his twelve to the side and he told them, "We are going to Jerusalem, and everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him." They will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. The meaning was hidden from them and they did not know what he was even talking about. Jesus, when we read that, we're like, he said, I'm gonna be flogged, I'm gonna be beaten. It's like, what did they not understand? What they didn't understand was that Jesus was saying the only way that access to the Father is gonna be made, the only way is that that everything written about him in the Old Testament and the prophets has to be fulfilled. It's the only way. So all these things that we've addressed so far have been the ways that we want to create, ways that we can get to God. We can earn it or have a value enough to be allowed to him or we can bug him enough. And God and Jesus say, no, the only way is the access is created by my sacrificial death and resurrection. See, God's plan from the beginning was to make that way that we could all come to him. God's plan was bigger than the disciples could even comprehend because they saw a, a prestige in their ministry. They saw a, the potential to have Israel have a national political king. And Jesus says, there is no other way that access solely comes. And so the truth is access to the Father is only made possible by Jesus shed blood. But because of that, all these myths are defeated and busted, and all these truths we get to live by, church. Would you stand with me this morning? Jesus concludes this passage in Luke chapter 18, uh, living out what he's just taught. I love that the person that we follow says, I don't just teach these things, I live these things, amen? And it says that on his way to Jericho, 
And he was, as he was traveling, there's this blind beggar sitting by the side of the road. And he says he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth going by. See, this blind beggar had heard the things that Jesus had done. He had heard that people were being healed. He had heard that people were being welcomed and touched by a rabbi, unheard of for someone that would be blind and begging on the side of the road. He had heard the only way that he could get what he needed would be to come to Jesus. And it says that he cried out, son of David, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it said the crowd shushed him. But then it says that he cried out all the more. See, he knew there was only one place that he could go. He talked about the persistent widow. There's only one place that you will find justice. You'll only find the healing that you need. And that is to go to Jesus. It says that the crowd tried to hush him, but he wouldn't be dissuaded. How quickly we can allow circumstance and busyness of life. Maybe silence some of the prayers that we've prayed for a long time. But then it said Jesus stopped. Jesus said, while even though I'm heading to Jericho, I'm on mission, I'm doing all these things. He said, I'm gonna stop right now in this moment. I'm interrupting everything that's happening because this is my son and I want to touch him. I want him to have a healing. And he calls him and invites him. Same invitation Jesus makes to you and me. He calls us and invites us to himself. And this morning I told you that I believe that church is a participation sport. And there's some in this room that have been praying for things for a long time. And maybe you just found out something this week. When we used to lead a youth ministry here, we would have a pre-service prayer with all the leaders, student leaders. And there, we only had one rule. And the rule was we could never say, I'm good. You could never say, I'm good or pass. Because really, like you don't know anybody that needs Jesus. You don't know anybody that's sick and needs healing. You don't have any friends that at, at school. Like, really? We all have those things. But I think this is a space that I think God wants us to, to live out what we've just taught, heard him talk about and begin to persist and not lose heart in prayer and the, the joy of coming together as a family of God that we might be able to say, we're gonna partner in prayer. So this morning across this room, even online, if you're listening, get ready to throw it in the chat. I know that we have a team ready to, to pray with you. If you have a need, would you simply just slip up a hand? Yeah, yeah, keep your hand up. Keep your hands up and here's why because this is a participation sport. So church, you can see people in front of you and around you right now that have their hands up and we don't need to know the details. Jesus knows the details, amen? So Pastor Weston and Rachel are just gonna lead us you know, quietly for just a moment. We're just gonna take a minute, but we're gonna just, we're gonna, if you're close to him, would you lay a hand on their shoulder? If you're near him, would you surround him? And let's just begin to pray and believe and persist in prayer for him. In Jesus' name, let's pray.
Jesus, we believe that we'll see you do it again. And God, we will not be dissuaded because you invite us to bring our needs to you, that you are eager and anticipating us to run to you with everything. God, we pray that we would, as your people, tear down walls so that all may know you, that all may know you. We pray this in Jesus' amazing name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Church has benediction this morning. I've chosen Hebrews chapter 10. It says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. Amen, amen, amen. Have a great week.